Hi, and welcome back to The Horrors. Hey, I'm Elise. I'm Shay. And we are stoked to be here. Are you stokely to be here? Oh, that is very punny. And I loved it. Yes. What are we talking about today? Today we're talking about 1998's The Faculty. And we're not even going to give you a wind up because we're so f- pumped. <laughs> I'm, try- I'm trying not to curse because you're using this for class. But- oh, no, it's okay. I think she'll be okay. okay. We're fucking pumped to talk about the faculty. This is like, yes, I had such a good time watching this. And I'll say I had my doubts. Yes. So the story behind this movie is way back when Shay and I started this podcast, it was definitely adding another thing to our plate. I'm already a full-time teacher and I'm taking a grad class this semester. And I was thinking to myself, wouldn't it be nice if I could find some way to overlap some of the things I need to do. And I proposed to my professor that I use this podcast episode as part of my final project. And she approved it and said that she's really excited because she actually saw the faculty when it was in theaters. (laughs) So awesome. Thanks to her for approving this project. And so when I proposed the movie to Shay, she hadn't seen it before. And on the surface, it looks a little bit corny. It's very sci-fi, 1998. Like I said, I had had my doubts for some reason. I don't know what I was thinking going into this. And I really knew nothing going into it. And I think it was the best that I knew nothing going into it because mm-hmm. I had a ball. Yes. Well, also, you've seen so many movies at this point in your life. I wonder if it was just kind of off-putting that you've never really heard of it. Yeah, maybe I just didn't trust that it would... I don't know, maybe the, our listeners would appreciate it or that maybe because I hadn't heard of it and I'm a horror fan, then what's the probability that other people have heard of it? But I'm here to tell you watch this ish oh my gosh good and it's funny it's scary but it's smart it's self-aware oh my gosh it's really good and definitely something that i think even though it's from the 90s i would say has withheld enough to still be really enjoyable in 2020 there's a lot of ladies to focus on yes so many ladies and also an all-star cast Usher is in this movie. Usher motherfucking Raymond is in this movie. Also, Elijah Wood, Selma Hayek. Josh Hartnett. B.B. Newworth, Clea Duvall, who's really good. Yes. I, she's a really good 90s actress. Mm-hmm. I know her from But I'm a Cheerleader. Okay. Which is an amazing lesbian film. Anyway, a great cast. So part of the reason this is awesome is, like Elise said, it does have that very quippy 90s feel to it. And... I would characterize 90s horror as having that really chippy dialogue, that really like insulting back and forth and then bitch and then like it's very, (laughs) first of all, it's just very back and forth, very out there, very stylized. The movie even opens up with all of these like name cards as if it's like a 90s sitcom where it's like, you know, you see the goth girl giving a grimace and then freeze frames and it's like Stokely. Like (laughs) it's so ingrained in this high school subculture immediately recognizable but then what's also super cool about it it was written by kevin williamson and horror fans might recognize his name because he wrote scream and scream came out in 96 which came out two years before the faculty did and scream was one of the first movies that really hit the mainstream that was able to balance creating a horror movie that was aware that other horror movies existed and we definitely want to cover scream scream is in my top five in terms of favorite horror movies for sure but watching and i don't know what your experience of this was because you haven't seen as many horror movies Mm -hmm. as i have but the experience of watching a horror movies where they're name dropping all of these conventions and name dropping these other monsters and name dropping these little jokes about horror movies it almost enriches the experience because 
you don't disagree a lot with what the people on screen are doing because they've seen a horror movie before. Mm-hmm. Like there was one point where it mentioned Sigourney Weaver and we were just talking about her last week. So it was kind of this fun, full circle feeling like an interconnected world among this genre. Yeah, they name drop things like The Thing, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and like Elise just said, Sigourney Weaver and Alien. There's a lot of nice little fun quippy quotes in here where they're really using their knowledge of alien movies to try to solve what's happening at their high school. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So shall we talk about our ladies? Yeah, let's unpack the ladies. So the first lady we have is Delilah Prophet. She's played by Jordana Brewster, which is also somebody who is pretty well-known, right? She's a well-known actress. I feel like her name is familiar to me. I know that she was in the Texas Chainsaw prequel. Right. So that's the only thing I recognize her from, but she does have a very long Wikipedia page. Mm. I just didn't write Mm -hmm. down a lot of what she was (laughs) in. But she's the popular girl. Not the cheerleader but she's like into the newspaper she's like a reporter like smart bitch she's almost like the gatekeeper of whom is whom and you see this a lot (gasps) happening throughout the movie where it's like this is your lane stick in it she's just Mm -hmm. kind of this unofficial enforcer of the social code that's happening in this high school and she really likes keeping people in their place and really likes keeping especially casey who is played by elijah wood in his place because Mm -hmm. he is the photographer for the yearbook that she runs. I wouldn't say she even really has a lot of redeeming qualities. She's really just there to be spiteful and very cruel. I mean, she's cute. She has this cute, like, blue butterfly shirt she wears a lot. It's very, makes me very nostalgic. Very 90s. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But other than that, nah. And then we have Clea Duvall playing Stokely, who is your titular goth girl who hates everyone and everything to the point where she's denying having a lab partner, denying having any company at lunch. She's like, I don't have friends. I don't talk to people. (laughs) It's very self-secluding and hilarious, in my opinion. So you have her who hates everyone and everything. And then you have Mary Beth Louise Hutchison. Mm -hmm. She's our Southern Belle from Georgia. I don't know. Uh, South Carolina. From the uh, South. She's, she's from the South. She's, she's so new sweet. and lets everyone knows it. Sweet as pie. And you see her really just trying to test the waters of this social code and, you know, talking a little bit to everybody. She's blonde. She's cute. She seems unassuming. So mm-hmm. she kind of floats around a little bit. And then you have our host of teachers. Yes. Yeah, so there are a lot of teachers. And something that I think is interesting about this movie and part of the reason why I selected it for my grad project is because it does focus on teachers as much as I would say it focuses on students, which usually we get a glimpse at young, hot teens living their lives, working through the system. But we get some perspective on the teachers here. So there's Miss Burke. Fomke Johnson. Well, I'm a fan of her because she plays Jean Grey in the X-Men movies. Oh. So she, that's how I know her is that's her claim to fame for me is she's has awesome fucking superpowers and <laughs> yeah. she's super cool in the beginning she is sort of a very nerdy quiet english teacher she's so mousy like she it's is painful and i think elise and i are going to take personal offense to this as english majors in college i think that that is a stereotype that has still been punched hmm. through over and over is if you read you're mousy, you're unassuming, you don't really have a life and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And this is if that person grew up and got a job in their hometown. 
Exactly. And then we have Ms. Oslo, played by Piper Laurie. Other significant role, she was the mom in Carrie. Yeah, she was Margaret White. So she played an absolutely terrifying role as Carrie's mom in Carrie. She plays the teacher that stabs Mrs. Drake. She's the one that we mm-hmm. see her in the beginning trying to get in the school. Exactly. And speaking of Mrs. Drake, we have Mrs. Drake, who's played by Bibi Newworth, who we mentioned before. She's the principal of the school. And she's cool. I like Mrs. Drake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's cool, 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 cool. And then we have Miss Harper, who's the nurse, and she's played by Sama Hayek. She's the nurse that is always sick. Like, yes, <laughs> which is so funny. Is that a stereotype or is it just ironic? I think it's just supposed to be 90s humor. It's so funny. It's so hysterical because Sama Hayek is, I know she's at least an Academy Award nominated actress. I can't remember if she's ever won an Academy Award before, but it's so interesting seeing a superstar like Sama Hayek playing in a movie like this. I think she did a good job. She was really funny. Rounding out our cast of characters, there's a lot of characters in this. Mm -hmm. You have a very mean football coach, and then you have the men of the friend group in school. So you have Stan, who is your kind of Troy Bolton, where he is the star quarterback, but he longs for something different. Mm -hmm. He wants to be smart and be somebody, but Mm -hmm. he feels stuck in his role because he's dating Delilah, and Delilah's like, I am this and you are that and we only date because of our status otherwise i wouldn't look in your direction you have casey like i mentioned earlier who's played by elijah wood he's your dork he's bullied one of the first scenes we see him he is being used as a battering ram for oh yeah football players pretty brutal football players lift him up and smash his nuts into the flagpole oh it looks awful it, yeah it didn't look very fun and then you have zeke who is played by Josh Hartnett. And I know him from the Penny Dreadful series. Yeah, and he plays your drug-dealing asshole fifth-year type. And John fucking Stewart's in this movie. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So John Stewart plays, and it's so funny because I wrote down the list of teachers, and I wrote down Mr. Stewart instead of his character's name. What is... I don't even care what it is. It's John Stewart's playing I wrote it down somewhere I was trying to find it. Yeah, but John Stewart, oh, my gosh. And he's a cutie. And then there's Mr. Tate... Is he like the disgruntled social studies yes, teacher? Yes, he's the alcoholic and mm-hmm. he's characterized as such multiple times. There's so many people to keep track of, but we're just trying to lay it out all up front as to mm-hmm. who's whom and what they're playing. So we open with a football montage and of course they have to drop Usher in the first five seconds of film, but you essentially are seeing that the football coach is as abusive and mean as one can be. The offspring is playing in the background. It's very 90s. It's setting the scene of what is important to this high school town, and it is football. So you kind of see like this montage, and it's really meant to set the impression that the football coach is a mean-spirited, angry man. And you also see pretty quickly that Stan, he makes a mistake in the play somehow, and the coach freaks out at him, and you see pretty quickly that Stan is already fed up with the game. So there's kind of some foreshadowing regarding his discontentment with his current status at school. And then the scrimmage ends. We have Coach Willis, alone on the field, and we see a shadow approach him. He says, right, what do you want? And then the scene cuts out. And then this is where you get your beginning 90s montage of introducing all of the main titular characters with the freeze frames and the names. So that's where you get Stokely, Delilah, Casey, Zeke, Stan, Mary Beth. Like that's where you get all of these little introductions that we just did. And then that montage ends with Miss Drake at a faculty meeting, pretty much telling all of the faculty members that none of their initiatives are getting funded, but mm-hmm. football will continue to be funded. And that's just underlining the culture of all of these 
small town suburbias where the identity of that small town is the football team or is mm-hmm. one function and these other field trips or computers are like they're just not going to happen. I wouldn't say you're supposed to be unsympathetic to Miss Drake, but she is seen as the antagonist for a lot of the other faculty members, I would say. I mean, working in a a high school, you know, those directives don't come from the principal of the high school, right? So she's kind of the bearer of bad news. But yeah, she does have an attitude that's very much like it is the way it is. The stadium is packed. It brings in money. We spend money on it. That's what we're going to do. So she's packing up to leave the school and she forgets her keys. So she goes back into her office. It's dark. And Coach Willis is there and is being very creepy, saying, you look really pretty this evening. And he's like repeating himself and being really friendly Mm -hmm. almost. He's trying to make a pass, it looks like. Yeah. So he keeps asking for a pencil. She finally is like, fine, take this pencil. And this movie goes from zero to 100 real quick when he stabs the pencil through her hand. It's awful. But of course, she knows that this is not a normal interaction. So she's running through the hallways, running through the hallways. I think it's a good chase scene. I wrote that down. I really like this chase scene because she is being smart. She grabs a pair of scissors, which that's also kind of some fun school humor where it's never like, never run with scissors, but she's running with scissors. (laughs) Oh, I didn't even notice. (laughs) And she's trying to hide from him. She goes into the science lab. And this was a scare that really got me where you hear from the hallway coach blowing his whistle and then he comes charging at her and the whistling just gets louder and louder. And then there's a confrontation, but... That I thought was so effective was Mm -hmm. just hearing the sound get louder and louder. And then all you saw was him running at her. And it was great. I wrote down, too, that it's funny that Drake is carrying these scissors and he's blowing his whistle because that's his role. And she just cut all their budgets. Oh, wow. So she's definitely playing her role and he's playing his even in this hot pursuit. But even ironic in the fact that his budget isn't the one that got cut. That is ironic. You're right. Hmm. Despite the fact that there's this epic chase scene, Coach Willis isn't the one that gets her. Trying to get back in the building, we have Miss Olsen. She's older. She looks disheveled. Like She reminds me of almost like a stereotypical older teacher who doesn't really know what's going on and is just kind of hanging on until retirement. But she forgets her key. She's trying to get back in the building. She can't do anything to help the principal because the doors are locked. She doesn't have her keys. And there are these like chains and padlocks that keep the door shut. So Already, there's kind of a feeling that this school is very old. There aren't even proper locks. The paint on the walls are peeling. The doors and door frames and door jams are dirty. The equipment is out of date, even for 98. Really not a lot of funding is going into this building at all, which again drives home that reoccurring theme we see throughout the years, throughout the decades of uneven funding throughout the districts. We can put some socioeconomic commentary in here. Yeah, yeah absolutely. 100%. It's certainly part of it. I kept saying Nishay, I was like, that's cool. It's so dirty. The doors, they don't have locks. Like they're padlocked shut. It's crazy. She finally gets out, Principal Drake, but Miss Olsen has also been taken over by this strange force that we're not sure the origin of yet. We're not sure what the deal is with it yet. And she is the one that stabs Principal Drake with the scissors on the front step of the school. And what we're getting so far is whatever this force or whatever this thing that it's taking over the faculty 
I don't know whether it makes them act oppositely to what they normally do, or if it makes them act as even kiltered, as even of a human as you can be. So neither agreeable or disagreeable, just being carbon copies, like being very neutral. One of the teachers that kind of eludes me is Miss Burke, because she doesn't level out she swings in the complete opposite direction. And Miss Burke is the nerdy, quote unquote, quiet, timid English teacher that we see in the beginning. But spoiler, eventually she does get affected by this alien force and she becomes this very sensual, confident, aggressive woman. So she's not even doubt, but she's sexualized. And we see her sort of sexualized before when she sees Zeke smoking, I believe, by his car. And she tells him to put out the cigarette. And he doesn't even take her seriously. He offers her drugs. He offers her a cherry flavored condom. And so we kind of see her sexualized in this way. But of course, she's so embarrassed. I mean, oh my God, like the fact that she didn't even react to that is so crazy. Like she needs to write him up (laughs) right now, right yesterday. But she doesn't. She's so timid. She's so embarrassed. But the next time we see her, she says to him, I think you have something cherry flavored, right? She completely swings in the opposite direction. Yeah, I see it that way. So the day after this attack on Miss Drake is where you start to see that this, whether it's opposite, whether it's neutrality, start to take effect because the coach is being very pleasant to the other faculty members in the faculty room. And Miss Olsen, who, like Elise mentioned, has this older woman vibe. She's very dolled up and she's lost her glasses and she's more fashionable and more confident. She's starting conversations. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not that they're evening out. Maybe it's that they're becoming different stereotypes Mm. because miss burke goes from being the timid embarrassed homely english teacher to the sexy aggressive female young english teacher right she's not even wearing glasses the next time i see her and like you just said miss olsen is that what you're talking about Mm -hmm. she goes from being kind of this nerdy quiet older removed teacher to sophisticated put together expert in her field And she does look great. Her hair looks great. It's a really good look for her. And even Coach, he went from being this super high, strong, aggressive to being a very supportive, holistic, understanding coach. Because that's the thing. He's still invested, but there's a scene where Stan goes to quit the football team. And he's like, well, what am I going to say? You know, you need to do what you need to do. And you're an individual. And I have nothing (laughs) to say about that. And it's jarring. He's still acting as a coach, but he's acting like a different kind of coach. So I like that. I like that perspective. I was looking at it as they were losing the qualities or the traits that made them them and making them more palatable. But I could also see it as just flipping the switch in the opposite direction, but still having to play by this hierarchy, these roles. Like that is as ingrained as I can exclaim is these roles are become very prevalent and they don't go away. And even if you get abducted by an alien force, the changes you undergo are still fitting some kind of framework. Yeah, so let's get to this alien because... That whole scene happens. You're starting to see that the coach and Miss Olsen are acting different. They're also drinking a lot of water. They need a lot of water. Mm -hmm. So that's like a hint that something is going on. You get this introduction montage of all the teens. And this is where you get some of this quippy dialogue where Delilah is being really mean to Stan about thinking about quitting the football team. She says something like, 
okay, like, let me know when you go down your yellow brick road and get to the brain and then we can like (laughs) revisit this conversation. Delilah teases Stokely because Mary Beth is talking to Stokely and she's like, oh, watch out for her violent lesbianism. Like she is, you know, being very homophobic and being very mean. Stokely calls Delilah a gutter slut. Again, this 90s humor that from Ginger Snaps that we love Mm -hmm, is here in full effect is here in full force. Mary Beth tries to be Stokely's lab partner after Delilah called her out for being a violent lesbian or whatever. And Mary Beth says something, but she's like, you know, I just think that's great. Like, I don't know much about it. She's like, I never met a lesbian before. I never met a lesbian before. (laughs) And Elise turns to me during this conversation. Because Stokely's just really just trying to be like, "Mm mm-hmm, yep, like, yeah, okay. Like, yeah, I'm not, okay, yep. And Elise turns to me, he's like, this is our first conversation we ever had. It's so true. It's so true. In that moment, those characters were aligned with our lives. <laughs> it was just, yeah, it was me and Elise in our first class together over seven years ago. Where <laughs> she's just like, you know, that's just so brave. I mean, I never you actually ne- said you that. You never actually but said basically, that. But basically, your energy screams <laughs> like, I am so proud of you and you are so brave. <laughs> I am an ally. <laughs> After we're done building this world of, you know, who these teens are and the roles in which they play, you also find out that Zeke's a drug dealer, that he has this secret powder that he sells to kids in the hollowed out pens. So he's selling that around. Very chic. Very chic. (laughs) Um, I think we covered everybody. So yes. So then Casey is by himself during lunch and he's on the bleachers. He's like just walking the track of the football field and Mm. he sees this little being like this little dried out pot it almost looks like a cicada yeah that's a good way to put it and coach kind of chases him off the field but casey can still tell that even though coach is mean like he's still not himself this is weird casey goes to john stewart in science class and is like (laughs) hey i discovered a new organism and I like John Stewart's character because he seems like the coolest teacher in this movie because he is very much interested in what Casey has brought to him. He says, what is this? That's so cool. The kids gather around. He encourages them to see. He drops it in the tank. They see it starts to kind of replicate. So he is very much interested in getting the kids involved and kind of looking at what Casey has found on the field. But we do see that this is a water-loving organism. That could replicate on the spot and it bites John Stewart or it, mm-hmm. it sends out these tendrils, which Ugh, it's creepy. Everything's a dick, but <laughs> oh shit. Literally, it's, it's, <laughs> it's almost like a cross between an octopus and a piranha. Every I- time we record, Shay says something is a dick and I am blown away. When am I going to get it? <laughs> I don't know what else you need to hear. That everything is a penis, but. But yeah, so we get the sense that this little being is dangerous because it injures John Stewart, bites him in the tank, and then they just kind of leave it at that. And then we get to this shower scene with Stan after football practice or after he had told coach that he doesn't want to play on the team anymore. Stan goes into the shower room and something weird happens. So he's standing there showering and we kind of get this perspective from the camera that something is watching him. And my first instinct is that it's the coach because he's been focused on the most. But Stan turns around and he sees that it's an older lady teacher. I can't remember her name. She's a much more minor character. She is 
ill. She clings onto him as if she needs help. And he holds her in his arm and her scalp falls off. Her skin is bubbling and boiling. Mm -hmm. Her name's Miss Broomall. Mm -hmm. And she looks very panicked and she's just like, they want everybody. They want everybody. So creepy. And then Casey comes in and sees what's happening and those two go get help. And then the scene cuts to the office and Miss Olsen is trying to backpedal and explain, oh, Miss Broomall actually just got diagnosed with cancer. She's having a bad reaction to treatment she was confused everything's okay Mm -hmm. then while casey is listening to her talk he is looking out the window and seeing coach standing in the field by himself with the sprinklers on (laughs) full blast it's becoming evident that whatever this thing is needs water and then that's where he puts two and two together that the being that he found must be what is causing his teachers to act differently I can't remember which comes first, but there's a moment where Delilah is looking for like some kind of piece for the newspaper. And since Casey also works for the newspaper for the school, she drags him into the faculty room and they're looking around, seeing what they can find. And at one point they find Mr. Tate's flask. Casey finds it. He shows it to Delilah and she says, you know, that's Mr. Tate's. We wrote about his alcoholism last year. Everybody knows about it. And Mr. Tate, you know, he appears very indifferent to his students. The students appear very indifferent to Mr. Tate. It's just so interesting that, you know, somebody could be struggling with alcoholism and there's a sense of not caring. That's not like the case always, but it shows, I think, that there's such a divide between students and staff here. Yeah, there's a distrust and it's almost expected. Like, yes, even I mean, I would even venture to say in other movies, there's always kind of like a drunk professor. Oh, yeah. And the teachers are unhappy. Oh, and this is totally backpack. But in the faculty meeting in the beginning of the movie, it's like 8 o'clock p.m., which blows my mind, but also affirms the stereotype that teachers just like live their lives at the school and don't really have much to do outside of it. And how comfortable would you have to be to keep a flask in the faculty room? Very comfortable. So it is really showing that a lot of these teachers have settled into their roles that they're not going to go anywhere Mm -hmm. like after this like this is kind of where they're going to live and die and they can skate by on just doing what they do and obviously elise and i as both as educators don't want to think that way but if you were to look in many a small town you can tell there are definitely some teachers that hang on a lot longer than perhaps they should right or even professors and it is so interesting how that stereotype that sort of skating by holding on is very much affiliated with discontentment so it's not even like we have these happy fulfilled teachers holding on kind of skating by on what they've been doing that's been working it's just been sheer existing in a job and at least that's the sense you get here with mr tate perhaps we could even say miss olsen though we don't see her as a teacher in any scenes her change suggests that perhaps she was much more removed, much more aloof from her teaching position. Yeah, so it's very interesting. While Casey and Delilah are searching the faculty lounge, they hear that Coach and Ms. Olson are coming into the faculty lounge. So they go and hide in a closet and they overhear Coach and Ms. Olson having a conversation about what happened to Ms. Broomall. And I think Coach has asked was she commuted? So there's a process here. And Ms. Olsen was like, no, her body was too old. She couldn't handle the change. So definitely some really weird dialogue. And then Salma Hayek, the nurse, comes in and they both kind of look at each other and look at her. And Casey and Delilah watch as they overtake the nurse and the coach spits up a slug or one of those piranha 
tendril things that Casey found on the football field, spits it up and it burrows itself into the nurse's ear. So fucking disgusting. So as they're witnessing this, Delilah knocks over Ms. Brumall's body that has Mm. been sitting in the faculty closet. So both of them run out. They go to book it down the hallway and who steps into their path but Mrs. Drake. So we saw her got stabbed earlier, but now her and Mr. Tate are like blocking the hallway and being like, what's wrong? Mm -hmm. And this moment is something that I thought was very layered. Here we have young Elijah Wood playing Casey, freaking out about finding a dead body in the closet. Something very serious. But right away, Principal Drake is like, no, you're just seeing things. No, no. And of course, we know that she's possessed or some version of possessed taken over. But I feel like that is another teacher stereotype. The idea of an uncaring, gaslighting teacher who doesn't take students' concerns seriously. And it's immediately not taken seriously when both of them decry that they killed the nurse, they killed the nurse, and Salma Hayek steps out and is like, I'm okay. I had a spell. I'm epileptic, and I I took to a seizure. Mm -hmm. And both of them escaped the school. And I don't know if you had thoughts about this part, but the fact that Casey calls the cops on his teachers, like he wants to hold his teachers accountable, because I feel like, especially in an academic setting, even if there's instances of abuse, a lot of times students are just expected to take it. But no, he calls the cops and brings his mom and dad to school. And Mm -hmm. he's just like, you killed Ms. Brumall. And they are able to explain everything away to the cops. But then during these encounters, the teachers are both effectively able to convince his parents that Casey uses drugs or that Casey's not applying himself or that Casey is irresponsible while also taking the cops over. Exactly. So Casey quickly loses any chance at holding his teachers accountable, I guess, because his resource, the police officers, are taken over. And then it's kind of a mad dash to figure out what the hell he's going to do. Right. There's a montage of him really trying to explain things to his parents and his parents really adopting the roles of being dismissive. They take his computer away. They take his porn away. They take his phone away and being like, you know, no more flopping the bishop. You need to... (laughs) Get your studies on seriously. You know, you're being a delinquent and just really, again, adults not listening to kids. And that, I think, is a really pertinent trend in horror to begin with, Mm. is the fact that kids are more attuned and more on the ground to what is going on than adults sometimes are, but adults pride getting in the way of Mm -hmm. that. So then he goes to school the next day and he sees that there's a line down the hallway and he knows exactly what's happening because he sees the nurse make eye contact with him. The nurse is steady infecting students Mm -hmm. with these She's giving a quote unquote ear exam. Mm -hmm. And we start seeing the student body become progressively more and more infected by these parasites. And what I think is interesting is instead of being affected in a more overt way, like we see the teachers becoming infected, we see the students becoming very subdued. They're very zombie-like. And this is where I maybe I was leaning toward the neutrality because they all lose their edge. They all lose the characteristics that make them unique. They are all just kind of wandering. They're all pretty silent. They're drone-like. And you can kind of tell who is and who is not based upon even the tone of their voice, 
this, I think, is where we start to see Ms. Burke because she sees Zeke dealing drugs in the courtyard and comes up to Zeke and really digs into Zeke in terms of exposing that his parents gave him up or that he was in foster care and that he is a dickless, drug-induced loser, just insulting him, insulting him, insulting him very crudely. And again, this is coming from a very mousy character, otherwise very subdued character. But I also thought it was interesting that you get this really cruel bullying tirade because we are still in high school we are still in this space where this abuse can happen but now it's just becoming more overt also you get the suspicion that the kids that have bought zeke's drugs before are really interested in his drugs they want everything that he has when okay that's fine but they're very insistent like do you have any more in your car when where can you get me some more do you have any more on your person so there's some suspicions going on about what Zeke's drugs could or could not be doing. After this ordeal with Miss Burke, and after we see, you know, the faculty has infected nearly all of the students, we have certain students team up together to try to figure out what the hell is going on and to try and fix it. Because really, the only thing left to do is to take it into their hands. There are no more adults that can help. Right. So you see Casey, Delilah, Stokely, and Stan go into the science lab trying to find the first initial slug to see what's happening. And then you see Zeke and Mary Beth on the other side of the science room because I think Zeke is looking for more ingredients to make his drugs. And Mary Beth makes moves on Zeke. They smooch in the back of the lab. And this is where you start to overhear the conversation where Casey's really, its I believe it's Casey and Stokely are really trying to convince Delilah and Stan that, no, have you seen Invasion of the Body Snatchers? Like, this is exactly what happens. What's going on? What's going on? And then the six of them end up teaming up together and then enter Jon Stewart in one of the most wacky but incredible fight scenes i've seen i was almost on my feet giving a round of applause so yeah john stewart comes in he's asking the kids what they're doing the kids confide in him they're like where is the slug he's like i sent it to the university and then he eventually starts to try and attack them but then zeke in his quick thinking, sees a paper cutter, one of those paper cutters, you know, like attached, kind of looks like a machete type deal. You like put the paper and you bring down the lever, puts his foot on the square part, rips up the blade and fucking uses it to like fight Jon Stewart. Yeah, because Jon Stewart is throwing Casey and Stan all around the room. Like oh, yeah, he breaks is being, the tank, like throwing them through the tank trying to throw up a slug in their mouth. And Zeke chops off his fingers, but then tendrils pop out of the fingers and they're all spewing their own little slugs. And then eventually Zeke is able to stab Jon Stewart in the eye with one of his drug pens. And then he dissolves. Mm -hmm. Like he just kind of becomes all melty and he dies. So this is where we get the confirmation that Whatever Zeke's little magic dust is, which at this point has been treated very akin to like a cocaine yeah. of sorts, is the antidote to what is going on. But yeah, that paper cutter just was wow. I mean, it's even in slow motion. There's a special place in my heart for movies that, again, even in the beginning with the whistle and the pencil mm. and the scissors, like like horror movies that use the profession 
in part of their killing. There's movies like The Belko Experiment and Mayhem where they take place in office buildings and fuckers are getting like clocked over the head with printers and <gasps> all these like stupid office supplies that and like staple guns and it's just I feel like that makes it scarier. Yeah, but it's also just adds like a hint of comedy of like mm. these everyday things that like you see all the time or even just things that you could find in your classroom that you could use to fucking murder somebody if you had to. Well, there's no paper cutter. I feel like I should get one. <laughs> no, just for this purpose. Just for the <laughs> just day. Case just for the day that these alien slugs come to get you. So then they ditch school and make it back to Zeke's basement. Here again comes this drug dealer is a scientist trope or is a botanist or is somehow able to manufacture these high quality vaccinations. <laughs> But by now, of course, suspicion has begun to sink in among the teens that one of them could be infected themselves without the others knowing. Yeah, they really go through this conversation where it's like, Stan, well, like you wanted to quit the football team. So what's going on there? And Stokely, you have a crush on Stan, but you're a lesbian. So like, which never was confirmed anyway. It was always just like an insult to her. But you're going on this. And Delilah, like you're wearing glasses. Like, when did that happen? And Casey, when did you become Sigourney Weaver? What's going on here? And oh, you're telling me that Zeke, the drug dealer, is now a mad scientist? And what's going on here? What's going on here? So they're all sowing this paranoia and suspicion. And it's a really great commentary, again, on roles in high school and staying in your lane and any deviation from the predetermined space that you already occupy is going to be noticed and is going to be scrutinized. So everybody has to do the coke. So, <laughs> so they pretty much all decide that they are going to take. And again, it's like a classic peer pressure where yeah. it's like everybody has to do the drug to prove that they are not a thing. But drugs are the key to living. So they go through. I mean, not seriously, but <laughs> but in this moment. Dare. Uh, <laughs> So they have a scene where they're all snorting. It always takes a little bit to convince everybody. And it comes down to Delilah and Mary Beth. And Mary Beth presumably takes the drug and is acting in accordance because everyone's giggly and acting all weird. And then you see the slugs start to crawl under Delilah's face and she just starts going on this tirade. Did you remember anything of what she said? We hear this a couple more times coming from different people who are infected. This idea that if you become infected, you'll fit in, you'll feel great, you feel so good, you're not an outsider anymore, you're not isolated, you're together. And it does kind of harken back to that whole idea that if this movie is based around this stereotypical high school hierarchy, then of course there are going to be those who feel more left out, more isolated. There's even that perfect class moment like you taught me to look out for Shay where something in the reading has directly to do with the text and early in the movie we see Miss Berg talking about what's Robinson Crusoe's biggest fear and it's isolation right mm. so that theme comes back here when after everyone's peer pressured to do these drugs we see Delilah start trying to peer pressure them to let her infect them Elise and I went on two different roads of who is the queen slug because okay. I was team Delilah as the queen slug because in these conversations with Stokely about like invasion of the body snatchers and all these alien movies, the logic is if you kill the queen, everybody else that she infected dies. As long as you kill the source of who 
infected everyone else and everyone else has to go back to normal. Because even in this situation, the only behavior deviation that Delilah showed was an outfit change. But her cruelness and her meanness never changed. I wouldn't say anything about her fundamentally changed. She explained away her wardrobe change because she was trying to look unrecognizable to the teachers that were after her and Casey from the night before when they were in the faculty lounge together. But that's what really got to me where I was like, has she always been a slug? Was she always a slug as long as we've seen her? That's why we didn't suspect her of being the slug in the room, essentially, because... She was always mean and she continued to stay mean. So I'm like, okay, is it her? I was team Mary Beth. And basically the thing that stood out to me the most was somebody, I forget who maybe Stan pointed out when they were all accusing each other for the peer pressure moment. It all started when you got here, Mary Beth, because we remember she's a new student. Yeah, so Delilah speeds off, goes back to the school. They all follow her in pursuit because they think that she is the queen slug of sorts. There is a football game going on. So there is a lot of pitter-patter happening in and around the little campus area. They go into the gym and they're like setting up to try to trap Delilah. But instead, Miss Drake comes. And that is where they trap Drake with, I think, a volleyball net. Again, love it. Love the tools of their disposal. And they stab Miss Drake initially with one dose, but nothing seems to happen. And Mary Beth takes like the entire fucking thing and throws it on her of like the drugs. And this should have been like the first indication that Elise was right. Because <laughs> she dumps the entire supply mm-hmm. onto Miss Drake to the point where they only have like maybe three or four pens left to their disposal of the cure. And Miss Drake bubbles to the ground. So then they have to come up with a plan because Zeke does have more pens, but they're in his car. So he and Casey leave Stokely and Mary Beth in the auditorium. Where's Stan? Stan went to the football field, but do we know why he went to the football field? Oh, yeah. So I guess at this point, the game was over. I don't know why Stan went to the football field. I think maybe to try to talk to the coach. I think maybe what it was is he was trying to get some of his football guys to get muscle to like maybe like protect. But unbeknownst to him, everybody on the team had been slugged at this point. But he went and then there's kind of like an open ended of is he is slugged? Is he not slugged? They have a scene that happens through the door where Stan runs back and Stokely wants to let him in because Stokely and Stan have become a thing at this point. And Zeke isn't letting Stan back in. And he's like, well, fine, take the drugs then and puts one under the door. And Stan lifts it up to his face and then dumps the dose out onto the ground. So he has been slugged and he goes on his own monologue of you feel so much better. All the insecurities go away. People will actually want you if you're like this. People won't think you're ugly if you're like this. Really harping on Stokely's insecurities. But Stan ends up running away, I think. And then this is where Casey and Zeke go to operation, get drugs from car. So it starts to rain. So everybody goes inside, but there's still all these parked buses from the away teams. So there's kind of like this maze of buses. And somewhere in that parking lot is Zeke's car that he has to get to to get the anecdote. And they can't do it without drawing the attention of the football team that's still standing on that open field. Having the rain like enter them like in a very creepy formation. Also, while the football team was playing, they were systematically spitting slugs into the other team's ears through tackles. So 
that's something I was asking myself during this is what is the motivation of the slug? It does it just want to spread? Is it just something that wants to infect everybody? I feel like that's a very like primal instinct. Like beings want to reproduce, recreate, replicate. So I feel like that's probably the goal. So Casey like is trying to get onto buses and he gets cornered by Delilah and Delilah again is trying to seduce him. Casey's the distraction for Zeke, who is trying to make a break for his car. And that's where Miss Burke gets all sexual with him. Yes. Oh, my gosh. This calls back to the scene that Elise already went over where he's like, oh, I heard you got something cherry for me. Kicks off a really big action sequence where she's like hanging in and out of the car and he's like drifting and trying to get her out or whatever. And it all culminates with him decapitating Miss Burke. Yeah, he crashes his car right as he gets his seatbelt clicked in place. So she, who is in the backseat, flies through the front windshield and that's that. But then her head starts crawling and slinking about. I thought that it was like an octopus type of situation. Obviously, Dick's obviously oh but (laughs) there was actually a really cool quote on the wikipedia about this scene that i wanted to read so the character of miss burke precedes mary beth in the same line revealing her hidden sexuality only after being infected and turned into a monster the scene of her detached tentacled head in particular echoes the freudian medusa head the monstrous feminine is therefore used in the film to reflect the teenage characters entering the adult world where they are forced to come to terms with female sexuality and over Overcome their fear of its monstrous aspects in order to become fully functioning adults. Hot damn. I did not see Medusa, but it absolutely. It does. It's like an inverted Medusa. Exactly. So then you see Miss Burke's head crawl and find its way back to her body. Mm-hmm. And at this point, Zeke goes to run back into the school with his extra doses. And then there is a scene where Stokely and Mary Beth are sitting on the bleachers in the gymnasium still. And. Elise was right. (laughs) Yes, and I was right. So there's this moment where right before Casey makes it back into the gym, having escaped Delilah, Mary Beth reveals to Stokely that she's basically the queen. Do you remember any of the dialogue that led up to that? Because essentially it happens with Mary Beth's arms turning into octopus tendrils and yeah basically i'm not really sure why at that moment she decided to infect stokely. she says something about, i think she tries again to play on stokely's insecurities and be like you know like when i came here i really felt like an outsider too and even on my own planet i felt like an outsider and then it, i think it just kind of snowballs from there essentially it turns into a chase scene where stokely and casey are chased by mary beth into the school pool where mary beth shapeshifts into an octopus shark piranha big tendril sluggy (sighs) yeah not a pretty sight no and not even like a human size like we're talking like the meg size very big i mean it gets bloody here because mary beth lifts stokely up and smacks her head down on the linoleum Mm -hmm. and drags her under the water but then stokely ends up swimming away and running with casey into the locker room zeke ends up meeting them in the locker room and this is where a lot of the climax happens is in the locker room and i thought that was pretty funny because i would challenge that's where people feel the most uncomfortable in high school oh my god that is so freaking true 
or the most masculine place in a high school. Yeah. And I don't want to make it too gendered, but I feel like it's a two different worlds for mm-hmm. people who identify as men and women in high school. And especially after like swimming, right? Like for people who had to swim in high school, changing and not wanting anyone to see anything and holding oh up God. your towels mm-hmm. for your fellow girls where guys are having like dick measuring competitions. <laughs> like what the fuck? Like they're two different worlds. <laughs> they are. They are so different. And here again, we see nudity being used as shock value because Mary Beth shapeshifts back and she's not in her Southern Belle conservative homely clothes anymore. She's completely naked mm-hmm. and she's trying to seduce Zeke and, you know, Zeke's trying like not to react to it. I think Stokely is trying to help Zeke get Mary Beth, but then Stokely reveals that she has been slugged. Yeah. Mm-hmm, so now it is just Casey and Zeke. And even then they both dose even more because they want to prove to each other that they're not yes i wrote down too like how covid of this because all of a sudden you know people going to like weddings and people going out and doing these things and it's just like they're always on the instagram caption has to be like we all tested negative beforehand right like (laughs) all of these types of things this is kind of that proof of like hey you're not a slug i'm not a slug i'm gonna do some coke and like this is exactly Mm -hmm. what we're gonna do right right they have to prove that they're not infected so then delilah goes on this monologue again about how she felt like an outsider on her own planet and she wanted to find a way to make no one feel like an outsider so she wanted to come like make friends here and it's a very long lengthy monologue and this is something that i wanted to know your take on like because here's my thought When you look at other movies like this, like Alien or even the idea of spreading it, spreading your seed, spreading the infection, it's a very masculine thing to do. And even in the ways in which it is transmitted, it is masculine. You're spitting something up or you are ejecting something Mm -hmm. or producing something from Mm -hmm. inside of you that is going to go into another person and have an effect on them. Mm -hmm. So that is inherently just very sexual and very masculine, if nothing else. So do we think that Mary Beth is actually like a woman entity or do we think she is taking the shape of a young girl in line with what was going to be the most easiest to transmit or easiest to gain trust in the context of this high school who is going to be the most agreeable person or who's going to be the most neutral person who could wiggle into every single corner of the social circle the only way you can do that is by being a new girl that is perfect I think that that is correct. I mean, obviously, Mary Beth is not her true form. And if she got to choose who she wanted to be, that had to be deliberate. Because that was something I was constantly thinking about was why and who did Mary Beth start with? She started with coach and she got coach because she's looking for people with influence. That makes sense to me. The football team is the most influential thing at the high school. But then she doesn't go after Delilah. She goes after Stokely, who has no friends. She zeroes in and kind of goes after Stokely first. And then she realized she wasn't getting anywhere with Stokely. And then she went to Zeke. But again, you're going the two outsiders almost. I mean, you could argue that Zeke is the drug dealer. So maybe he has a circle. Knows a lot of people. Knows a lot of people. But like, what is the method to your madness? I understood coach. Mm -hmm. But then after that, why Stokely? This is during her monologue when she's talking to Casey. And Casey, I think, asks, like, why here? And she said, because, you know, if you're trying to take over the world, do you want to, like, walk in the front door or sneak in the back? 
So maybe by going after Stokely first, she's kind of exemplifying that motto where she already has a teacher with a lot of influence. Maybe she's just going to try to get a lot of students before anybody else realizes what's going on. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I'm not sure, though. And then that also begs the question, does this entity actually care? It is very feminine of this entity to preach dialogue about, don't you want to feel accepted? Don't you want to feel loved? I want to make a difference, right? This sort of caring facade. But is it a facade? Because you're right. There are so many masculine things about this entity, but that caring element, is it genuine? I don't think so. I mean, no, absolutely. (laughs) I I absolutely agree with you. But that's even how people gain acceptance in high school is you have to pretend you care. I mean, you could argue the way in which Casey is bullied in the beginning by the football guys is very overt. It's I hate you from the beginning. Fuck you. But the way that Delilah bullies Casey is more cruel because she compliments him sometimes and then is cruel to him other times and plays this push-pull game of you have to almost manipulate you have to do what's going to work and i think that's even if you were looking at the way that mary beth tried to function she tried being like i'm mary beth louise hutchison i'm from the south blah, blah, blah. and she tried to be agreeable for everybody and even stokely was like fuck you i don't like yeah mm-hmm. okay mary beth you can be whatever but then who does she go after she didn't go after stan the good boy she goes after zeke mm. so she had to adjust her playbook mm-hmm. to she really adapts. yeah she adapted that's very interesting very darwin survival of the fittest Mm -hmm. i mean yeah she really did have to adapt i mean she already i would say won out by being being the new girl being this monolith of the southern belle who is universally Mm -hmm. considered nice and upstanding and good until she realized it wasn't gonna get her anywhere in the social circle it would make her well liked but not included Mm -hmm. so what was gonna make her included very interesting she had to become a part of the system yep and the system is something that i also want to talk about but should we talk about how the movie ends before we get into yeah, absolutely. additional theory? Okay. So the movie ends with, again, it's a lot of action, a lot of lockers being knocked over and people being thrown and very action-y. And it ends with Casey going behind the bleachers in the gymnasium and hitting a button so that they close. And he starts running and lures Mary Beth in her alien form behind. They're closing behind him as he runs. So the idea is he was trying to crush her with these bleachers. But I joked with Elise. I'm like, they can't even get new paint on the wall, but they have <laughs> these bleachers that are folding into the wall at supersonic speed that I mean, can they crush are... an alien entity. <laughs> well, all the money's going to the sports budget. You're right. You're right, you're right. <laughs> but it works, but not at no cost because... <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry for all of my, my dry heaving sounds to the <laughs> but <laughs> this is the worst part this was the worst part for me you you were very I didn't upset like it. you were very upset <laughs> so it ends up crushing mary beth but then mary beth's face opens up to a very vaginal looking mm-hmm. thing it looked very much like the demogorgon from stranger things or even something out of the thing movies where again it's something that's very scary for a lot of people to look at is the shape of a vagina that open wet drippy has teeth sometimes mm-hmm. type hashtag of teeth it has hashtag teeth the movie maybe we'll cover that you know i think we should i think we should i actually somebody mentioned to me are you guys gonna do teeth It was a long time ago. We should do teeth. Okay. We'll do teeth. Stay tuned for teeth. Stay tuned. (laughs) 
So it opens up, it's screaming, and before Casey can get the doses in its mouth, it projects like five <laughs> slugs that burrow into Casey's face directly. And Casey screams a very Frodo scream, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is kind of funny, but it's not funny because it's just, I don't like looking, I didn't like looking at that. And for 1998, I think that held up pretty well. No, I think it was pretty good. And that that's the thing. We're used to seeing the slugs go through orifices. They're going directly through his mm. cheeks, through his forehead, mm-hmm. through his chin. So it's a very gross looking scene. You could tell he's in a lot of pain, but he's also able to shove like all of the doses into Mary Beth's mouth and yeah. she dissolves and, and dies. The slugs quickly dry up and fall out of his face. Yes. And then everybody who has been slugged returns back to normal because mm-hmm. Mary Beth was indeed the queen. And Casey saves the day. Yeah. And then the movie ends with Casey and Delilah together, which I fucking hated. Yeah, of course. It's disgusting. But it really is showing that, you know, despite Casey being the nerd and then overcoming the hero, he's still playing into that, like, the loser gets the girl hero arc. And, like, Mm -hmm. we are still operating within a high school. So it makes all the sense in the world, honestly. Mm -hmm. You know, he's gaining all this recognition. He has Delilah on his arm. And the movie ends with Stokely and Stan kissing and Delilah and Casey kissing. And Stokely's wearing purple yeah Uh, like one of those iconic 90s floral midi skirts with a matching little cardigan like she doesn't even look like herself anymore this is what's so upsetting is i think what the movie was trying to say with that was that people who are goth or people that are emo do so because they don't have friends like it is not a style is what isolates you it is you are isolated thus that draws you to like a subculture that is inherently like negative or devilish very satanic panic whereas as somebody who expressed themselves in that way in Mm -hmm. high school i had friends and i was happy that is just who i was but we're seeing that gothness or we're seeing that darkness or that interest in the macabre or whatever as a result of being alone and socially isolated but i read it as like she became more like stan Mm. and she is assimilating and again you could argue that yeah people can change and people can change their style and switch it up and do whatever the hell they want to do like that is their choice to do that but it made me sad that like the things that made stokely stokely disappeared right after she like starts dating the popular boy i totally see that but thinking about that it makes me think that it's more so commentary on the fact that the system can permeate anybody, including the anti-culture, which is what I think goth culture is. It's like very conscious of the culture we're in and it's very staunchly against it, right? Like Stokely's gothness in the high school, very, I don't care, don't talk to me, I'm sitting alone. She goes against everything that makes that high school the high school. But in the end, the system itself can still get to somebody even like that. Can still consume you. Yeah. While we're going to talk about the system, I'm going to throw out this other quote that I found on the Wikipedia just about the nature in which Mary Beth operated in and why like succeeded in like the high school setting. So the character of Mary Beth, the alien queen, is a complex imbrication of women, alien and power that acts beyond the role of the femme fatale. She masquerades as a virginal, unassuming girl clad in floral dresses. But in the final battle, she reveals her true sexual threat, becoming nude by her alien transformation and turning confident and flirtatious. Her role as a threatening, castrating agent is underlined by the sharp teeth of her species, which invoke a vagina dentata and their association to water, the archaic womb-like female element. As the monstrous mother of her race, she offers the heroes a symbolic return to the womb. 
that quote really brings in why water, why a water-born thing, and it's just this idea of unbirthed potential. I mean, it almost answers the question that I was asking you earlier is like, is it a masculine energy parading as feminine? Like, no, it's, it is feminine. And mm-hmm. that's why. Mm-hmm. That's just so wild. So my focus when I was watching this movie was looking out for the way teachers are portrayed and the relationship that teachers have with students. And this is kind of what I want to focus my project on. Now, I'm going to be writing a paper that goes along with this. So here are some of my thoughts. So throughout the faculty, audiences watch as teachers in a seemingly ordinary Ohio high school become overtaken by an alien force. Horror typically focuses on young hot teens, as we said, but the faculty, as implied by the title itself, focuses on representations of teachers too. So this semester, I was introduced to a guy named Paulo Freire, a Brazilian educator and philosopher. Oh my gosh, Shay just mouth. I love Freire. <laughs> Pedagogy of the oppressed. Oh my God. Honestly, I cannot believe that I haven't read this sooner, but I'm glad that I got a hold of it now. And yes, Pedagogy of the Press is what I read. So it focuses on the oppressive structures in modern education. And the first thing that stood out to me in the faculty is the staging of a school environment, much like Freire condemns. And that's coined as the banking model. The banking model of education is a system that relies on the idea that a teacher and student exist separately with students functioning as, quote, banks into which teachers deposit knowledge or alien entities (laughs) (laughs) simultaneously numbing students to their human potential. According to Freire, the banking model of education perpetuates patterns of oppression by enforcing a phenomenon similar to learned helplessness. This learned helplessness comes from constantly playing the part of a submissive, malleable student instead of taking more control in their education. When students are continuously taught to remain on the receiving end of knowledge, they avoid becoming active, conscious members of society. In turn, they don't realize their capacity or their capability as agents of change. So the banking model becomes clear in the faculty right away because we see a chasm between students and teachers, mainly because the students are infected with the strange alien agent by the teachers. The teacher's initial possession represents In my opinion, I think the cycle of education. First, teachers are students in the system before they become teachers, and they often perpetuate the same system to those that they teach. However, the alien agent has a very different impact on the student body versus the faculty themselves. And we talked a little bit about this. So the rowdy, spirited high school students mostly become docile and conforming under the influence of the aliens, whereas the teachers become empowered in sensual bodies. And this kind of gets into the philosophies of another theorist named Bell Hooks. And she often talks about how teachers are living, breathing bodies. And often in the education system, we don't see teachers as such. We see them as brains. We see them operating very separately from any form of physicality. They don't have a holistic being. They are just there to be gatekeepers of knowledge. Exactly. Like when we saw the faculty in a staff meeting at 8 p.m. or, you know, the coach constantly on the field or in the faculty room. We never see these people outside of the school in this movie. No, we don't assume that they have families, they have partners, they have other interests. They are just there to play their role in these students' lives. And most often that is all they have. They think that there's like a bed in the wall that they just sleep in and that's it. They are there to be depositors of these coins in their brains and they are not people who have also been through this experience as students. And I think that in addition to literally seeing these teachers 
invaded by an alien species, we also feel weird watching as Miss Burke demonstrates such aggressive sexuality. Also, Miss Olsen, as she becomes more of a calculating bigger presence. Also, Miss Drake, when she is also sexualized in her short principal skirt, her low-cut blouse, I mean, she is a woman in power. And before, when we see her talking about budget cuts, fine. But when we see her being possessed by this entity, that skirt suit takes on a whole different meaning to me. It gets tight in all the right places. Uh-huh. It sits above the knee, y'all. She has a walk. Heels, high heels. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's very sensual. This is a topic to me that I find very interesting. And I think specifically because I am a high school teacher. You know, when you're in school to become a teacher, it really is kind of taught to you. And I can't speak for primary teachers. I don't know what it's like to be an elementary school teacher. That's nothing that I've ever really been interested in. But as a secondary teacher, you are taught to Keep your physicality separate from your job. And there are some reasons for that. You don't want to make any students uncomfortable. You don't want to get in trouble. You don't want anything to be misconstrued. And there is so much danger in being a teacher about saying the wrong thing, but there's also danger in being a teacher in doing the wrong thing. And for good reason, because people for years and years and years have taken advantage of the system. But I fear sometimes, and based on this movie, that there has been almost an overcorrecting to the point that we can have a movie become a cult classic that portrays teachers as being invaded by aliens because it's so believable, because teachers to society are already alien entities. I mean, even me, who works in higher education, not in a professor role, but still in an educating role, it's always this mixed messaging because college is so different in the sense that college is the place where students live, work, mm-hmm. eat, breathe, do, you know, do all of their things. So in my role, I'm taught to be approachable, but keep it professional, like be accessible, but don't overgive, be communicative and supportive, but don't cross the line. But the line is never there. I mean, obviously, there are some hard lines, like obviously what Miss Burke was doing is a hard line and Mm -hmm. and things of that nature. That's almost not even worth saying. But even with COVID, kids are seeing the inside of their teachers' homes and they're seeing their teachers without maybe without makeup on and (laughs) without their hair done and hearing their baby cry in the background or seeing their, their cat walk across the back of their thing. And you have to be more human. But there are still all of these things of, okay, well, do a virtual background and dress professionally Mm -hmm. from the waist up and it's like well why like so even in this state of crisis we are still putting forth that we are not human we are here to serve a job and we are here to serve a purpose and this purpose is to be this quote-unquote professional this quote-unquote expert of Mm -hmm. anything when right now like none of that hierarchy none of that system fucking matters because the system's upside down the system is upside down and it has never been more clear i mean Paolo Freire talks about this, Bell Hooks talks about this, that for so long, students have been taught that being docile, being receptive, being quiet has been the ideal image of a student. So now we have kids who are trying to learn virtually who have never, well, 
I don't want to make a blanket statement, but who for the most part in the system have been taught to sit still, listen for instruction. The teacher will tell you what to do. And they are being asked to take their own education more into their own hands than ever at an earlier age by working at home, managing their time, logging on at a certain time if they're in secondary school and their parents have to work. Kids have to take responsibility in a different way than they ever have. And it is clear that so many of them are flailing because they do not know how to do it and they do not have any interest in it because in so many ways, our system, even though it might have been developed to try to get everybody to fit in, to try to make everybody happy, to try to make everybody feel good and meet in the middle, like Mary Beth might have argued to her peers, we still have students who don't have a connection to education. And would students be flailing as hard if this systematic, rigid, I am expert, you are receiver hasn't been established since preschool, kindergarten? You shut up, you sit down, you shut up, you sit down, you raise your hand, you walk in line, you do all these things. If that wasn't how education was design, would students be flailing as much? Or if we were to have a more free-flowing thing? I mean, it it doesn't stop in K through 12. There's plenty of very valid critiques of higher education that we're not producing free thinkers. We're producing obedient employees. And that's it. Mm -hmm. Where that's not what it used to be. Where that's not what the intention of higher education was. It was to create a more virtuous man. Well, because it was built for men, but whatever. Aristotle, great. But it was built for that purpose. But now we are just creating neoliberal people. Like, that's it. I have this quote from Bell Hooks that sort of comments on the physical body of the teacher. And it comes from an essay of hers. And it reads, professors rarely speak of the place of Eros or the erotic in our classrooms. And before I continue, she also talks about the importance of not seeing the word erotic as just sexual erotic, but just sort of erotic as it is. Trained in the philosophical context of Western metaphysical dualism, many of us have accepted the notion that there is a split between the body and the mind. Believing this, individuals enter the classroom to teach as though only the mind is present and not the body. To call attention to the body is to betray the legacy of repression and denial that has been handed down to us by our professorial elders who have been usually white and male. We apologize for all the non-educators in our audience right now, but we are having a blast with this conversation. But, But this is the thing that I'm obsessed with is all of us have been students And all of us will continue to be students. That's the thing, too, is this line between student and teacher, this chasm that exists. Like, teachers are all students. And teachers are never supposed to stop being students because they're supposed to go to professional development. They're encouraged to get additional degrees. And yet so many behave that they are only teacher. My mind has been blown this semester because I'm reading this content. I'm a teacher myself. It's a lot to think about, you know, how am I going to create the best classroom environment? But At the same time, it's been really interesting to reflect back on myself as a student and my own experiences. And do I see this? Have I seen this? How do I fix this? And I think that it's a conversation that everyone should hear because it's so enlightening regarding our roots because we spend so much time in school with these teachers, with these philosophies, and so many of them have problematic roots. It also challenges us to redefine what intelligent is and what intelligent acts like and what intelligence looks like. Because we see even in this movie, Zeke, he's a fifth year student. He is somebody who didn't graduate on time, yet he has a chemist lab in his 
basement and is the sole reason that, I mean, yeah, you can play it on Casey all you want because he's, you know, the person who did the deed, but it was Zeke's formula and it was Zeke's antidote. But we are characterized to think that he is unintelligent because he's underachieving. And when you look at even us, like maybe the way that we acted in K through 12, we were seen as smart because we were obedient and we did what we were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And that's not taking away our intelligence, but what we were taught is intelligent is hey, you're smart. Keep go being smart over there. And that's what we did. We both have master's degrees or are about to have master's degrees. Mm-hmm. Like, But do I feel as though I am more intelligent than somebody who just graduated with a high school degree who can fix my fucking car? No. <laughs> or that can cook my favorite meal or that can do, can do all these mm-hmm. things? Absolutely fucking not. I am no right. better. But society tells me I'm better because I have two syllables after my name. Exactly. But that's Or two letters after my name. But that's it. <laughs> And kind of going back to this virtual forum and thinking about the silence that we as a society have been enforcing for years and years and years and years. And now as an educator, that's all so many of us are getting because we're teaching our kids through Zoom and they aren't forced to show their faces. They aren't forced to turn on their mics. I feel like that silence is biting back. And I think this movie does a really good job highlighting how the education system has failed us in so many ways. Because even at the end, when we think that that system has been fixed and helped, well, even at the end, when we see the alien invasion has been fixed or helped, we still see that school system very firmly in place. And we see that mostly for the students, but the students as well as the faculty. And so those are my thoughts. (laughs) This was great. I had a lot of fun in this conversation. And we wanted to bring this conversation to y'all for any of us who either are educators or are in school right now. We know finals week's a creeping and mm. might start for you this week, might start for you next week. And you might be feeling some uh, not so great feelings about your teachers or your professors, but giving you context that at least they're not spitting slugs into your ears. So <laughs> it could be worse. Coming up the pike, we have a lot of awesome holiday-themed horror movies that we're going to be doing. Shay, you kind of set the schedule for those because you had a lot of those in your back pocket. I did. And two, we'd also want to recognize that a lot of what's been scaring people right now has obviously been not only COVID and the pandemic that we still have been continuously in, but also the election and contentions over the threat to democracy. Mm -hmm. So we have an interesting movie next week that I think sows that paranoia really well that we're going to talk about. It's not inherently political, but I think it's definitely got some political ties. So we're excited about that. And then after next week, we're really diving into two holiday horror movies and then we're closing out the year with some technical horror which i'm excited about yeah it's gonna be fun and i think i'm gonna have some heavy lifting to do in the coming weeks regarding the scare factors jump scares gore the scare factors are at least this next one coming up i think in the last one that we're gonna watch this year i think we're gonna yeah it's, <laughs> it's gonna take elise up a couple notches yeah so think of me send me strength <laughs> i'll be crying <laughs> Yeah, but if you have any thoughts on the faculty or suggestions of movies you want us to do, feel free to email us at thehorrorspodcast at gmail.com. And that's the horrors with a silent W. Or you can follow us on Instagram also at the horrors podcast. And also, when you listen, please make sure you're downloading, liking, rating, subscribing, anything that can give us more feedback and anything that can give us a little bit more tread on these podcasting platforms we finally got on apple and Mm -hmm. somebody left us a very kind review and we don't know who you are but if you're listening and you left us a nice review a nice little comment on apple thank you yes thank you so much but until next time we're the horrors bye 
拜。